EM Guidewire, hard-hitting emergency medicine from Carolina's Medical Center. Welcome back, listeners, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Intern Nuggets. As you'll hear, our hosts recorded this episode back in the height of pumpkin spice season, but unfortunately, I was pretty delayed in getting it to you. Regardless, I hope you enjoy this episode and take away some great learning points. Take it away, team. This is Sophia Durba, PGY1. And this is Destiny Folk, PGY1. This week's episode of Intern Nuggets is brought to you by Pumpkin Spice. For everything from lattes to dog treats, because what better way is there to get Fido into the fall spirit and get an opportunity to call your local pet poison control line? Pumpkin Spice. I've seen some weird things be pumpkin spice flavored, but don't go hating on pumpkin spice lattes. I actually drank one earlier today. (laughs) I actually love pumpkin spice and pumpkin spice lattes. This is my favorite time of year. The leaves are turning beautiful colors. It's sweater weather in the morning, but then it's hot enough to still get a heat stroke on your walk back to the parking garage (laughs) after your shift. All of my neighbors take turns turning on their leaf blowers. It's great. Nothing like the fall spirit. (laughs) In this episode of Intern Nuggets, we will be explaining the mysteries and secrets of the kidney. You can't be serious. That would take hours, days, weeks. (laughs) I'm not. We're going to cover a much smaller subset of that topic by talking about a less known cause of hyponatremia and learn some intern pearls through this patient case. I still don't quite know what a kidney is, but I'm challenging myself to start to understand it in a way that's practical for an EM physician. In that case... Take it away, Dr. Durba. (laughs) Thanks, Dr. Folk. So I was working with Dr. Allen the other day, and a patient came in for syncope, who I ended up admitting for a GI bleed. But he had a sodium of 127 on his labs, so of course, the moment I saw that, I went to my favorite online EM resource, and I searched GI bleed hyponatremia. And I came to the conclusion that he probably had volume depletion from the GI bleed, and so he had hypovolemic hyponatremia. That sounds like a reasonable conclusion to me. I'd probably replete his volume, transfuse him if he's actively bleeding and hemodynamically unstable or has a hemoglobin less than 7, and recheck a BMP to see how his sodium looks. Right? And that's what I said, and I felt so smart. And then Dr. Allen said, does he drink beer? Maybe it's beer potomania. To which I said, don't make up words, Dr. Allen. To which he said, I'll send you some articles to review. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that a great feeling when you feel like you have a decent grasp of most common diagnoses and their workups, and then you're asked if you've ruled out a diagnosis that you've literally never even heard of? Interns out there have almost certainly already had this experience at least once, and for any medical students listening, you'll come across diagnoses or tests or presentations that will completely stump you, and you won't even remember having heard of a diagnosis before from your clinical rotations or board exams, and that's okay. You're trying to be efficient at quickly finding an answer to something, like Dr. Derba's frantic hyponatremia searching, or my open tab on my go-to EM resource pages during every shift, and you'll perpetually be learning new things, which is the beauty of medicine. Sometimes that beauty can feel a little more frustrating and exasperating than other times. Now, back to my patient. After another quick search, I had looked up beer potomania, and I went back and asked my patient how many alcoholic beverages he consumes in a day and what those beverages are, and he said five Coronas every evening. Of course. Do you think that was why he had the GI bleed? Maybe, but he actually took lots of ibuprofen for back pain, and he had just finished a course of steroids for a rash, so we thought that was the biggest trigger. Despite five beers a day and hyponatremia, I also don't think he actually had beer potomania. Oh, but of course. I mean, clearly. If you consider that presentation and the clinical course of beer potomania, it's obvious that's not the diagnosis. 
Dr. Durba, I have no idea what viripotamania <laughs> is either. Can you please enlighten us? Sure thing, Dr. Folk. When a patient drinks lots of alcohol chronically, particularly beer because it has a low solute content, together with barely any protein in their diet, they become low in solutes because half of all the solutes in your body come from urea, which comes from breakdown of dietary protein. Beer also has some calories, so the body uses those calories from the beer and it doesn't break down proteins in the body for energy, and that further decreases the production of urea. Okay, so patients with beer potomania have low total body solutes because they don't eat much protein, and so they don't make much urea. Yep, that's right. So those patients are low in solutes, or have a low osmolality, which also means they can't get rid of excess fluid in the kidney because they don't have enough solutes to excrete to be able to do so, so they get a dilutional hyponatremia from all the free water that they hang on to. If you need to pause and play that back again, me too. <laughs> That sounds similar to tea and toast syndrome, where patients have a high water and low protein diet. And I guess patients with severe chronic alcohol use disorder do tend to have low sodium, so that makes sense now. Exactly. How low does their sodium get? So this is why I don't think my patient's hyponatremia was primarily caused by beer potomania. His sodium was 127, and he had had a normal sodium a few months prior despite drinking five beers a day for many years. Case reports I saw for beer potomania reported sodiums in the 110s and even one as low as 106. The patients in those cases were drinking between 10 and 20 12-ounce beers a day, and they presented with significant lethargy, confusion, and weakness. I know we don't correct serum sodium faster than 6 milliequivalents per 24 hours, especially in patients with chronic hyponatremia, but are there any special considerations in patients with beer potomania? Yeah, if you give these patients normal saline, they can actually get a massive diuresis and dump all of the free water you gave them while holding on to the sodium in the normal saline. So that means that if you gave them a bolus of normal saline in the ED that a patient with hypovolemic hyponatremium could have handled and tolerated just fine, these patients will likely pee out all the free water and then their serum sodium, because they hang on to the sodium, will actually shoot up rapidly. A fast increase in serum sodium can put them at risk for osmotic demyelination syndrome or, as it was previously called, central pontine myelinolysis. I know that can present with dysarthria, dysphagia, ataxia, paraplegia, or quadriplegia, obtundation, and coma. In the more severe cases, patients feel locked in, meaning that they are awake but can't communicate or move. How do I know that my patient has beer potomania, and how do I prevent osmotic demyelination syndrome? Remember how I talked about these patients not making very much urea? Well, when you check their BMP, their BUN will be low or low normal, like around 4 to 6 rather than the usual 15 to 20. Their main problem is low total body solutes. That means low serum osmolality, which is an extra test you'd have to order, and also a low urine osmolality and a low urine sodium. Both of these urine levels would be normal in a patient with hypovolemic hyponatremia like what I thought my patient had. And they'd be high in a patient with SIADH, which I won't even get into, but is also a diagnosis that perpetually confuses me. So I find it helpful to compare whether your kidneys are getting rid of solutes less than normal, normally, or more than normal, and why. Okay, so if my patient has significant hyponatremia, serum osmolality and urine sodium and osmolality are helpful lab values to determine the cause. Remember that if a patient is on diuretics, or if you give them a dose in the ED, or if you've already given them fluid resuscitation, their urine sodium and urine osmolality will be inaccurate and less useful. For treating beer potomania, it's the same guidelines for slowly correcting their serum sodium, no more than 6 milliequivalents per 24 hours. And lastly, counsel your patient on their diet to increase their protein intake and reduce alcohol intake. Consulting nephrology sounds like it wouldn't be a bad idea either. 
kidney is definitely one of the more complex organ systems to understand, but this episode has definitely helped simplify some teaching points for me. In summary, consider beer potomania in a patient with high alcohol intake who comes in with a low sodium and who may be confused or altered. Check a BMP as well as a serum osmolality, urine osmolality, and a urine sodium. Give cautious fluids to avoid triggering a significant diuresis and recheck sodium after fluids to ensure you don't raise the sodium in a patient with chronic hyponatremia by more than 6 milliequivalents per 24 hours to avoid osmotic demyelination syndrome. I think that wraps it up for this episode of Intern Nuggets. If you want to further flex your nephrological knowledge, you can listen to a great episode we have in the EM Guidewire archive about hepatorenal syndrome. To all of the fourth-year medical students out there, Good luck with your interview season, and we hope to meet some of you on the virtual interview trail this year. You've got this, MS4s. Thanks for joining us here at the J. Lee Garvey Studio at Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. We'll be back for some more intern nuggets soon. Thanks for listening to EM Guidewire. Go! Be awesome today! Seems you out. Oof, I'm doing great. Okay.